welcome to another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Well, today on the Unicorns, we're featuring a company called Datamesh. It's been in the news recently for all the right reasons, and it's starting to get noticed both here in Australia and overseas. Datamesh is a payment services software company. It focuses on revolutionizing the current payment systems available to merchants. It does this by delivering integrated payment capabilities and valuable customer insights. The CEO of Datamesh is Mark Nagy, and he joins me now. G'day, Mark. Welcome to the program. Yeah, hi, Justin. Thanks for uh, having me here today. Okay, can you firstly begin by explaining what Data Mesh does? Yeah, so look, Data Mesh is an Australian uh, software company. Uh, we're 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 100% Australian owned, and we're uh, we're locally based here in Sydney. And essentially, yeah. just in a nutshell, what we do is we create um, we've created a core payments processing platform or a switching system, as our industry calls it, which effectively. Um, allows merchants and banks to be able to modernise the way they deal with each other. Um, for okay. a long time, these platforms have been uh, been uh, the domain, really, of a couple of large global corporates who've done an amazing job with it, but haven't really changed the way these things operate hugely. And we saw an opportunity to be able to just essentially reinvent the way to, that's done. But probably what I would say one of the most interesting parts about it is the fact not necessarily how revolutionary we think our tech is, which is now fully completed, but actually how we go to market, which is essentially it's um, part of that same uh, ethos of the shared economy thing where organisations no longer have to buy this tech, they can use it as a service. So how does that work? Explain how that works. Yeah, well, look, um, um, for a long time now, when you wanted to get into the the really deep end of payments processing, you had to go and buy a platform, which you know essentially mm-hmm. was hosted in large data centers on very, very expensive technology and then backup systems and all the security that goes around it. Uh, We watched the changes going on in the world with regards to cloud-based computing, uh, a massive improvement over the last 10 years in the quality and performance of the internet, uh, the stability around that, decentralization of systems via the cloud. And so we built our architecture with all of that in mind. So essentially we've been cloud native from day one. Uh, mm-hmm. rather than trying to adapt to it. The second part of it, which goes to address the question you asked me, is is predominantly based around the fact that these systems are typically extremely expensive, incredibly complex to uh, adopt and integrate and usually require an enormous amount of planning because if you've got one already, if you want to transition to uh, a different version of it or a, a competitor's version of it, you literally have to plan how you move that across. And that's real hand on the heart stuff as you jump off the cliff and hope the shoot opens. <laughs> and that can take that can take years, can't oh, it? Yeah, it does. Um, you know, we, we see these things literally. A number of the banks in Australia are currently going through this process at the moment and they're really upgrading, just upgrading their systems and, and it, can, it can take three, four, five years to do it. Um, so the to the question about the commercialisation of our product, the way it simply works is... Um, if we move on from the fact that we think we've got the best solution available in the market today, what we say to people is, look, you don't really have to buy it. You can use it as a service. So because we 100% own the intellectual property and because we can very quickly spin it up in the cloud, 
it's easy for us to create an instance of this for a bank or for an acquirer or for a large merchant or even for a small merchant. And we're seeing an opportunity now where businesses actually who would never have thought in their wildest dreams that they could have their own financial switching environment and all the, oh. the, the facts that come along with that, they could actually now having one of those without having to write a check for it. So now when I get into the, the essence of the question you asked me, essentially we, we run it as a service. It's a bit like how Amazon offer uh, their services. You don't actually have to buy an instance of Amazon or like Microsoft do today with their office suite. You don't actually have to buy the disks anymore and load them to your computer. You simply <laughs> I get, remember those days. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and hope like hell it worked. Um, now it's a case of, you know, you just uh, essentially um, we spin up an instance of this thing for you. You come, It comes with all the complete set of tools that are required for a bank, an acquirer, or a merchant to run it. Uh, we provide uh, most, if not all, of the connectivity required. And then essentially you get on and you just start using the service. Like, I hate the analogy, but it's like the Airbnb or the Uber thing. You don't buy the hotel anymore or you don't buy the cars. You know, they're a, they're a shared mm. service. And uh, I can't think of a better analogy than that one. It is a bit tired, but but uh, the reality of it is is that, you know, it means it's just more affordable for businesses to, to jump on board. But I think what's probably one of the other critical pieces of it, Justin, is We've designed the system in a way so people can try before they buy, if you, if that makes sense. So in other words, mm-hmm. they can start to use elements of our system so they don't have to do that jump off the cliff moment. They actually start to pilot it. They can start to test. They can do small projects. They can very the quickly. a bit. Yeah. That's right. And as they get more comfortable with it, because at the end of the day, we're not a massive global, you know, NASDAQ top 100 listed company. We are an Australian um, startup. And so we are playing, we, you know, we, we understand our lot in life. And as we get better at what we're doing, we understand that we've got to earn our credibility. And, and part of that is the businesses we're dealing with, you know, obviously very risk adverse, large, mm. large banks, large retail. And so this gives them a chance to be able to just make sure, test, validate, be very comfortable that data mesh is the right partner and they can actually just go from there. So, you know, look, it's exciting. And, uh, you know, we, we, we're really getting a lot of interest from this. So, uh, and we think, you know, the, uh, the go-to-market strategy is every little bit as, um, you know, as unique as the, as the technology we've created. I'm keen to know more, Mark, about how Data Mesh began. Can you take us back to the origins of the business and perhaps how you got involved with Data Mesh? Yeah, look, um, I, I think you did warn me that, you know, I can be free to speak here and be ad-lib, so, but you, know, <laughs> you will need to put some guardrails around me, so um, <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. I, I do have an emergency break, so, um, <laughs> but but that's enough for the metaphors. We, um, we, we, we uh, look, I've been in this industry, for, this is my 33rd year in this industry now, and uh, uh I had a. I watched a friend of mine that was um, doing something somewhat similar in the late '90s and early 2000s, and you know, did an enormously wonderful job of creating a platform and a system with what he had in those days, which was, you know, not anything compared to where we're at today. And I was a witness to the fact that you know there was really an opportunity to come into the market and do payments processing and a whole bunch of other things that are associated with that exercise. As a service, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know it allowed at that time it allowed some smaller tiered banks uh, to actually be able to play with the big banks and uh, you know not to necessarily be competitive but to 
have a like-for-like like solution for their customers. And it inspired me to start thinking about how we could we could actually create something. But it was only, as I said earlier, Justin, when we were talking about the internet and cloud computing and so on, that the catalyst really came along from that. And I knew that that time was around about 2010. So I started to think around in those days about how I could do it. I'd done some previous like versions of this with, uh, with banks like Westpac. And, uh, and again, we did some more work with Westpac in, in a, later in the, in the early 2000s and with St. George Bank before they actually merged. Um, and so uh, I knew that I knew that the, the ground was being laid for me to actually then go ahead and really put to pull together a team and, and you know, try and execute on the vision. So uh, I'm very fortunate that we've had some great backers who financially backed our company uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I need to recognise because they, uh, they, you know, they believe the story and they believe what we give were. them a shout out if you can. If, if, they're, if they're happy to be mentioned uh, publicly? Yeah, look, it's people like, uh, you know, uh, Spiro Papperson, uh, who's ex-NAB, and John Nicolas, uh, ex-City. Uh, those two gentlemen, um, you know, John John was the guy with the checkbook. And, uh, you know, he, uh, you know, I think I built an affinity to him relatively quickly and John could see what we're doing. And he wrote the first check, $3 million for us and, and backed me on that. And then we've had... You know, we needed to also have a cornerstone customer and, you know, uh, Yasser Shahin from the Peregrine Group, you know, he he, uh, he stood behind me, you know, and I, I can't think thank him enough for his faith in me and trust, you know, the big business, you know, with a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot to lose and, and a lot to gain, but, you know, definitely a lot to lose. So those, those three people, I think, are probably cornerstones. And then from there, it allowed us to sort of, assemble a team of people that I'd come across, you know, the best and brightest that I could hire, um, you know, and people like Aaron French and Jason Chisholm um, and, you know, my business partners, um, James Garton, Guy Burnett and Rowan Cancock, who all, all, you know, it was just a matter of getting the right team with every business. Justin, as you know, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, if you don't have the right people, um, you, you're not going to succeed. So that was exactly, job one. Exactly. And, and how... Um... How has the business grown, Mark, since when you first set it up? Yeah, well, look, um, you know, because obviously you're a witness to what we're doing. So, you know, um, and, you know, we're grateful for the work that, you know, uh, your company's actually providing us in terms of you know, our, our guidance um, into the market. But, you know, look, we, we, we had a very clear vision from day one on what we needed to execute on and, and like, a, like a train on tracks, um, if you've got that, road laid out in front of you and that destination is, you know, you if you're committed to that destination, there should be no reason why you need to stray from it. Naturally, you need to adjust your navigation and, you know, you, you need to move around obstacles as they emerge. But if you, if you, if the original thesis is tested and developed correctly, there should be no reason why you should change course. And I know mm-hmm. there's, I know there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, things to that but essentially you know it was it's it's i i had the idea but it's the people around me that are really the ones that you know uh you know are responsible for executing and you know um i hold them true to the vision and you know these people um you know they're the ones who you know need to be recognized for helping me execute and so we we've hundred times the value of the company as you know uh in in, in just under three years which is quite incredible um, it is. Yeah, and we've got it some very really big, is. 
Yeah, and we've got some very happy shareholders um, who uh, obviously are enjoying that journey. Um, obviously, that's... I should, I should point out, it is a private business. That's right, yeah. yeah. So, um, so, you know, we've got, we've, got, we've got a really good path and we know what's coming next. And, you know, obviously, we've made some... We've, we've, we've come out from under the... Uh, we've, we, we, we tried really hard to keep our heads down and, and we've, we know with the end of town we're playing in and the market we're playing in, uh, job number one for data mesh was to get the technology created, have it fully certified, and get it globally approved. Um, you know, and that was that mm-hmm. was that was akin to climbing Mount Everest, like going straight up K one up the, the steep side. Um, you know, and there was a lot of battles and, and work. So, but we got that away, and uh, you know, yep. and we've got the global certs, and we've we've got all the links into the major players like Visa, Mastercard. You know the Chinese payment instruments and so on, and a raft of others. And then you know it's essentially starting to work with the major acquirers here in Australia and overseas, and uh, and just generally consolidating. I think the other part of it that we're very lucky with, we're probably one of the businesses, interestingly, Justin, that's um, had somewhat of a benefit from this um, pandemic that we've just coming out of. And the reason being is because. Um, we're in a very boutique space, and uh, we're we're creating novel technology for a very, mm. you know, for a very unique part of the market that, for the most part, in all my years, I can't see as being absolutely addressed in the way we're doing it. There are other players, but if you if you look at all the bits of what our puzzle is, we think we've got some fairly clear air ahead of us. COVID afforded us the ability to continue on that development path. Um, and then probably where we would have been under a fair bit of pressure to be executing a bit more in the market during 2020. Um, mm. You know, there was, a, there was you know, as for, unfortunate and terrible as it was for not just Australia but the world, um, a lot of businesses went into lockdown, especially retail, and, uh, you know, job number one for us was to deploy into retail. Um, so we were a little behind on our uh, execution path in terms of our go-to-market, and that allowed us a little bit of time um, to you know to catch up there in that regard I've always been of the view that you need to make sure you're properly funded uh, I learned that lesson the hard way several years ago and another venture that I was involved in so we were, yep. we've got some great financial management inside the business and we've been very prudent with our, our use of funds and uh, in, you know in our capital execution strategy so uh, for us it's about being able to, uh, you know, to make sure that we put the money where we need to and making sure, obviously, that we don't run out of cash. So we are likely to well, be able to start up. We're on this, you know, this latter game of, you know, raise capital, deploy more funds into things at the moment. And the current pathway of the funds we're currently deploying is to is in our international expansion. Well, I noticed um, the recent capital raise, NAB Ventures, came in. So how, how did that involvement come about yeah so look i can't go into every one of the details there if that's all right justin uh, apologies for that i'm just going to be a bit sensitive to it but i will say that you know they have been watching us for a while uh, mm. and you know they're obviously seeing what we're doing in the market and uh you know they've taken the time to understand who we are and what we do and you know i think they like the story um there's some amazing people inside in adventures todd, todd forrest amanda angelini and James Johnson, you know, very, very clever people. Uh, Howard Sylvia, who heads it up, you know, they 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 get it. They, they you know, it's yeah. it's just so nice when you deal with people in senior organisations who understand. 
And, uh, you know, NAB, NAB really is an impressive organisation. I have to be honest with you, I haven't had a lot to do with them through my career. I've touched them on time to time. Mm-hmm. Hugely pleasantly surprised, you know, uh, and the NAB's, NAB Ventures team, Amanda's just come back from the US after holding some senior posts up there in this industry. And uh, so she just completely got it straight away, who we are, what we do and what the opportunity is. And, of course, that's three parts job done, as you know. So, mm. so what does the um, international competitive landscape look like for data mesh? Who else uh, are you up against in this or are you sort of out there trailblazing on your own? Yeah, look, um, it depends what part we're doing. We do come across um, businesses, uh, and and I'll clarify what I mean by part what we're doing, but we do come across businesses as we get involved in different, um, you know, different aspects of engagement. So our international expansion at the moment is being heavily guided by Accenture. And, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I recently recently gave an interview in the AFR about um, what Darmesh is doing and, we, we make reference to Accenture in there because, you know, they just really are, again, that's another organisation that's a monster in terms of size. I think they've got um, tens of thousands of people working for them just in our segment alone. Yet, um, they again, they totally understand the uniqueness of the opportunity. So we've been engaged with them over 12 months now and essentially what they're doing for us is they're setting um, the, the roadmap, if you like, of, of, of how data mesh needs to execute internationally. They're setting down our corporate governance strategy, our uh, risk management, our risk execution, uh, you know, our uh, compliance and regulatory, our in-country intel for what we need on each market we're looking to go to. And so Accenture have done a, an enormous job on that and they will be our long-term partners going forward. In terms of where we, coming to your question, in terms of where we, we intersect with other organisations, so firstly, the large global manufacturers of financial switching platforms, the two big US companies, ACI and FIS, you know, uh, who've done an incredible job mm-hmm. in the market. You know, obviously they're the incumbents, the incumbent players. Uh, they're in the business of selling these platforms and, uh, you know, and hacked it to them. They've done an amazing job on that. And, you know, we wouldn't have an electronics payment system in the world today if it wasn't for the work they've done. However, we think that our go-to-market strategy is quite unique. And we think that the barrier to entry to get one of these platforms is completely removed by how we're how we're executing on that. So that's that's kind of one of the key parts of it. And so, how do you how does Data Mesh work with some of the schemes like Visa and Mastercard? Can you explain that? Yeah, uh, extension of the, the question before was is that that there are in the, first of all a problem we're solving, Justin. If I could just get to that, and that is that there are in Australia. Australia's rather unique, if I could just give you some context. Australia's rather unique in that we are what we call a full-service market. So, in other words, you go to the bank for everything. The bank does all of your banking, all that usual banking stuff, but they also Mm. supply the end-to-end payments experience for you. You know, if you're a merchant, you go to the bank, the bank sets you up with an account, gets you an FPOS terminal that they've purchased, rolls that out for you, and, uh, you know, it's in place. So... But in many other parts of the world, in fact, in the majority of the rest of the world, banks don't do that. They're just banks. And so what happens is you go to a third-party organisation, much like a JB Hi-Fi or, or Harvey Norman, as we have here in Australia, and you just go and buy yourself or rent an FPOS terminal, credit card terminals we call it in other parts of the world, or whatever yep. other thing you want, a kiosk or an ATM or whatever, 
and then essentially you pick which bank you want to deal with and they do all the connections for you. Uh-huh. And, and, and this introduces a whole lot of things, but not least of which is the banks don't really have always, some of them do and a lot of them do, but don't always have line of sight visibility to the end customer. They deal from what we call third-party acquirers or third-party processes or independent sales organisations. Uh-huh. So, so for us, we're solving for a different problem internationally. Um, problem number one for us is that a lot of the banks, and I'll come to you Visa and MasterCard thing in a minute, a lot of the banks around the world um, are finding themselves exposed with not being able to process digital payments. So with the huge growth in uh, transaction volume going through mobile phones now and via the internet, and, you know, we, we have tap and go on our phones now in Australia. Very we do. It's everywhere. Yeah, but paying through applications on your phone, you know, fuel apps. You know, Starbucks in the US have done an amazing job with being able to water and pick up and all those sort of things. This is becoming really prevalent. You've got rideshare operators that you pay through your phone. You've got, there's a, and I could get the list goes on. The problem is for acquirers, and that's another way of saying banks, they aren't really always very well geared for this. And this is mm. something that's been coming on really quick in the last 10 years. So job number one for us is to set the banks up to be able to do that. Now, they're not interested in writing checks that are 5, 10, 50, 20, 100 million dollars to get a system and then take 18 months to do it. What we offer them is, in partnership with Visa and MasterCard is the ability to literally turn this thing on in, in weeks and start playing in the space and uh, not having to buy the platform because we can quickly deploy it through the cloud. It's full service. It's not a payment gateway like, you know, some of the other things that are around in the market today. It's a full-blown financial core switching system, which has all the security and all the encryption and everything that comes along with it, that the bank can know is going to be the least amount of fraud possible through this transaction network, yet immediately be able to service their customers in the space of being able to process payments. And then job number two, for those that are interested in, and this is mainly a developed world thing, uh, uh-huh. they can then start to roll their own credit card terminals out. So you would notice, for example, um, Square recently acquired Afterpay. And, I did. Yeah, and which is a biggie. That's a monster. And you, you have to really understand a whole lot of the reasons behind that, that transaction where, you know, it really adds a lot to the Square thing and, you know, they've, they've done an enormous job. The Square problem in the US, which they were resolving as essentially being able to provide small business with a very elegant solution, which is a point of sale system and a, and a credit card terminal for a very low cost. Just literally turn the thing on, plug it in, enter a pin number and you're up and running. And all of these players are starting to eat into the bank's businesses. Mm. The problem for the banks is the banks don't just lose the payments processing relationship. They actually also then lose the banking relationship and that's the holy grail. If you banks are in payments processing as a service, but mainly because they they want the money deposited in their accounts overnight, mm. they want they want that cash management side of, of merchant acquiring, and uh, and when they lose, typically when they lose the merchant acquiring, the payment the transaction banking becomes at risk. So for us, partnering with Visa and Mastercard, who are connected to virtually every retail bank around the world. Mm-hmm. And saying, look, here's an out-of-the-box solution that has really got very limited capex and, and upfront and, and virtually no opex, and you can literally, within weeks, you can be up and running 
uh, here you go, bank, here's a solution for you that you can immediately go out to your customers. Now, I'm dumbing it down a whole lot. There's a lot of internal processes. But we can take a system that would normally take two to three years to launch and, you know, literally get into the tens of millions of dollars of expenditure and having to spin up an army of people to run. We can literally be up in six to nine months fully operational and literally be run by a handful of people. So how does it work with digital currencies? What if retailers are using data mesh? Can they allow their customers to pay with crypto? Yeah, they can. And, um, you know, so there was also an announcement in the market that we're looking to um, partner with crypto.com with a particular fuel customer here in South Australia. It'll be Australian first. A couple little steps to go, but for the most part, that that deal's inked. And essentially the way it works is... um, much like any other payment instrument, you literally walk up to the terminal. Instead of tapping your card or inserting your card or swiping your card, you literally hit the crypto button on the on the screen of the terminal. <laughs> open, open your crypto wallet, scan the barcode, much like the QR check-ins that we've all been doing through COVID, and bang, it's paid. Now, the cool part about that is it's a really yeah. elegant, simple experience. It'll be a first here in this country for people who hold crypto wallets. Um, to actually be able to burn crypto points, or crypto, um, sorry, uh, coins at real time at point of sale. Mm. Um, the elegant part of the system is the crypto.com switch will immediately in real time calculate the value of that coin and convert the coin to uh, a fiat currency, which in this case for our client in South Australia will be an AUD. Yep. And they'll, they'll get settlement the next day in AUD at a fixed rate. So there's a, a spot rate that's immediately agreed upon. Um, our customer is not interested in holding coins at this point in time. They, they simply want to get paid as if it was a credit card. And so crypto will settle that for them into their existing bank account. So it's an elegant solution for the merchant. Mm. And can you see that expanding over time? 100%. I mean, I was at a conference yesterday listening to um, a number of you know very um, well-versed people talk about just how prevalent crypto is in Australia. By, you know, there's all sorts of metrics, you know, but what we are hearing is that 18% of us adult Australians have cryptocurrency investments, mm. uh, which is an enormous number. Um, you know, when you think about it, we're, well, I think we're top three in the world on that article that I read. Um, and so really what we've got at the moment is we've got people investing in crypto, but now we're starting to see an interest in how do I actually spend some of my... Yeah, what do I do with this? Yeah. Mm. So not, not, I'm not pontificating about whether or not crypto is a good thing or whether or not you're going to make money out of it. What I'm simply saying is we're providing a method of execution for how you can actually convert crypto to, to you know, spend it real time. You've mentioned a few times, Mark, international expansion. Clearly, you're, you're working in Australia. But give us a sense of what the plan is, where, where you're looking to take the business abroad. Yeah, so look... Um, uh, we are, we are definitely uh, of the of the mindset, and like I think most Australian companies are, there, there's some really great technology companies down here, and Australia's doing some incredible things. And it is really a competitive market here. So if you if you if you are half a chance of doing something good down here, you you are, in my opinion, globally relevant. When I've had the luxury of working in many countries around the world and and being able to see what exists, and I try really hard to understand you know how different the rest of the world is from australia in terms of um payment processing so when i come to the core of your question we 
we uh, we know that to be globally relevant, we have to be international. But mm-hmm. we also know that what comes with that is if we get that right, you know, it has enormous impact on not just the business from a uh, from a valuation perspective, but also it it really does turbocharge our revenues. Um, again, you know, I won't go into the finer details, but we've got a very high GP on our on our um, on our offering. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because we I've been determined from day one that and to the point of obsession that we must own our intellectual property. Uh, the reason being is because I don't want to be paying licensing fees to anyone else short of the data center. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know the, the the cloud costs that we incur. Um, we have very high gross profit. Uh, ratio in the business and um, as a result of that we know that if we can get over there and start basically set stand up our systems and and over there is north america and throughout asia if we can get our systems stood up and, and deployed and operated which we can do really quickly and given that we're already fully connected to visa and mastercard we literally are in the position to hit the ground running so for example mm. next, next week i'm up there with the schemes, um, that's Visa and Mastercard in the U- in the US. In the US, yeah, and we uh, will we will be working with them on some real projects that are uh, in front of us at the moment. So maybe we'll do a catch up interview, Justin. There'll be a few things I'll be able to announce to you in the, in the next two or three months of stuff that we believe we've knocked off. Well, my final question, Mark, and that sounds like a great idea. So, w- what's next for what you can tell us? What's what's the future? of data mesh look like and what's what's the vision maybe at a high level just give our listeners a sense of where you're taking the company there really is a fair bit of clear area in our opinion ahead of us um we've got we've got as the old saying goes you know it's the sun's about to shine it's topical in sydney you know it's time <laughs> to make, i wish it would yeah. i wish it would yeah so do i um we'll, we'll look back on this one day and laugh but but, um, you know, it's time, it really is time to make hay. And so for us, it's now about just deploying. And literally, we can deploy our switches from a console here in Australia. We don't need to see them. The cool part about this is we don't need to send a team of engineers up to a country to be able to get going. We literally, we literally had our switch installed in Singapore in one day. So, uh, which is just one day. And, uh, and, you know, that, that's, that's, that's just something that people would have never even dreamed possible. Um, so for us, it's about just quickly getting these things out there. We're trying to create a network where they're all linked together. Uh, it's affectionately known as Project Daisy Chain, and uh, we are in the process of doing that. Um, I can't tell you who, but we have won a contract with a major global bank, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, it's still yet to be fi- finally. So I probably shouldn't say one, but we've we've definitely watch this it. space. Watch this space. We've been advised we've won it. Um, we're just doing paperwork. Uh, and the whole, whole idea of that is to be able to link their operations together through, you know, multiple countries uh, for job number one, which is to immediately get them going. Um, then job number two is to basically be able to service other um, requirements in their market. So that's really exciting for us. We, that's a known already. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, we're going to the US not hoping to turn some stones over. We, we know what we're going for up there as well. So. So we're pretty confident that we're going to be, before the end of the year, we're going to be processing some significant volume through this network uh, internationally. And uh, we think that's going to do really well to um, put DataMesh on the map, um, both in North America and throughout Southeast Asia. 
Well, it's great to catch up with you, Mark. Remember the name, folks, Data Mesh. That is certainly a company to watch. Mark Nagy, the CEO of Data Mesh. Thanks for coming onto the program, and I look forward to catching up with you soon. Yeah, grateful for the opportunity, Justin, and uh, thank you for what you're doing for uh, small business because it's stuff like this that really puts us out in the marketplace and tells people what we're doing, you know, which is uh, incredibly important. So thank you to you.